Hello and welcome to this podcast from Faber. My name is George Miller, and my guest today is Alex Preston, whose debut novel, This Bleeding City, is a rare thing, a novel about the world of high finance written from the inside. Not a crude attempt to put the boot in, but to understand what makes those who work in the city tick. Not an apologia for the city boys, is how Alex has expressed it elsewhere, but neither an attempt to portray them as monsters. Thus his hero, Charlie Wales, may be self-deluded, but he's not unfeeling. He's an outsider who's come to the party too late, just in time for the first shockwaves that will ultimately lead to the crash. I asked Alex first about the origins of the book, how it had come together in his imagination. It's interesting because actually the markets I work in and, and was working in when I began the book turned much sooner than than the broader equity markets and so actually it was it was like getting a sneak preview of what was to come i started the book in the summer of 2007 and already there have been whisperings of crisis on the horizon and uh, you'd had subprime issues in the states you'd had some whisperings out of Bear Stearns that things were going badly for a couple of their funds but generically the market was still I guess to external observers in wonderful shape and so being rather a catastrophic thinker I extrapolated out what were these initial murmurings into something far more dramatic now I absolutely didn't spot what was to come and clearly the book was being written as things deteriorated and as we moved towards the end of 2007 and it became clear that what had started off as some issues within a very specific part of the US mortgage market had multiplied into something which really faced, uh, which which caused the entire financial system to, to, to be under threat. But it was the case that at the time of writing the book, I don't think I could ever have predicted that things would get as bad as they were to get. And I actually was reading a lot about earlier financial panics. And it's, I suppose, the fact that we haven't had one since the 70s that means, or, or, or haven't had a dramatic one since the 70s. And, and I guess, you know, to a lesser extent, the events of late, uh, the late 1980s, and, and then again, the Russian crisis, but all of those things seem to me to have been very contained, whereas this was really a systemic failure. And so it actually looks back much more to the kind of crises that, that occurred at the beginning of the 20th century. So if you look at the panics of, I believe, 1907 and 1913, particularly, these were events when the entire system was was fundamentally challenged as to whether it could continue to exist in the same way. And then obviously the Great Crash of 29, which which I think has its most um, clear reflection in, in what's going on now. I was reading some of the literature from that time. I mean, Frank Norris's The Pit is a, is a wonderful early panic novel and, and really could have been written about this most recent crash. And so I was looking to these earlier incarnations of, of crisis writing. And, you know, major influence for me was that I, at the time I was reading the short stories of Scott Fitzgerald, and there is a short story called Return to Babylon, where a trader, I don't think he's identified as a trader, but but somebody who had made a lot of money during the 20s in the, in the, in the bull market that preceded the crash, returns to Paris where he had, I guess, spent the last years of dissolution before the, um, the, the crash happened. And he's kind of taking stock of, of his life. And I thought how interesting it was to try and create a character who, if not wholly sympathetic, wasn't the kind of 
villain that financial characters are usually portrayed as in in literature and I guess most recently by um by Sebastian Folks in a week in December um where John Veals the hedge fund manager there is just a kind of comic book villain and I uh, I thought that it would be more interesting to try and give an insight into how these people were thinking when this was happening and 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 you know particularly a, a very young generation how they were affected by being sucked into this bull market almost at its its tail when when it was all the music had already played and then hit with this enormous crash when when everything upon which they had built their conceptions of themselves the things that had been fundamental to um to how they they viewed themselves was was being questioned and and and, and ripped apart it must have taken considerable sang-froid while the seismograph was beginning to twitch to you know maintain your day job as it were and also to be writing a novel and in a sense i suppose what was bad for the financial world was potentially good and it was material for you as a novelist how did you manage to to work within that tension you know i think it was actually a, a very nice escape when things were melting down to be able to get home at the end of a long day and just sit at the computer and and write and it did feel like something that i needed to write it felt very much a, a a kind of compulsion to set down this story it had been churning away at the back of my mind for for a little while it was not something that uh was in any way painful to write and uh a lot of what we did as people within the markets in 2007 and 2008 was really just sit and watch and try and work out what was going to happen what was going on even and actually writing something like this thinking about what are the motives here what are the the animal instincts that are driving the markets at this point in time it was very useful for me and and actually i think was potentially one way of trying to see through to how the the world would look after the crash introduce us to charlie wales your protagonist and tell me is is he typical of a certain type of of young man in the city he's trying to pick up on on a number of i guess different characters who i'm using as as the foundation for for charlie charlie wales is the name of the protagonist in the in the scott fitzgerald story which is where the name came from it's not a oblique reference to the future king of england um Charlie has come from a, a a very solidly middle class background father sort of up and down unemployed thoughtful intellectual perhaps born in, in the wrong time mother again sometime teacher very very sort of solidly middle class um from a seaside town in the south of England and he goes up to Edinburgh and he's suddenly uh, greeted by uh, i guess new money by the allure of money by the glamour that surrounds so many of the characters that he meets up there who have uh, black tie dinner parties every other night and uh, and go off to their to their shooting lodges and their houses in on the Côte d'Azur and he finds this incredibly alluring and some of the most successful people that I've met in the city have come from an outsider's position a lot of them are scholarship boys at public schools a lot of them went to Oxbridge and and got 
tied in with the whole kind of Bullingdon shimmer that surrounds those institutions. And there is this sense of people needing to prove themselves and needing to prove it in, in purely financial terms. You know, there is this sense that Charlie is just driven by a need to justify his place among his peer group at Edinburgh and even show these people who have on occasion talked down to him and who always I think treat him as an outsider that he can be one of them and of course what is I guess tragic for Charlie I think maybe tragic is is not a word one should use about anyone in the financial services industry at this point is that of course by the time he has joined the city and by the time he proves himself as somebody who can actually cut it in the city, and I think he is actually probably quite good at his job, the ridiculous telephone number bonuses have stopped being paid and he's left trying to stay afloat in a market where everyone else is sinking. The city does seem to exact a particularly high price, and I was struck by how early in the book disillusionment seems to settle on many of the characters. It's quite a a telling moment before before Charlie even has his job where he gets up and he looks out the window at six o'clock in the morning and two of his former friends from university are trudging off to their accountancy lives and it seems like and, and Vero, um, one of his closest friends, is studying law and it, it does seem that there's a great oppressive weight falls on these characters because of the life that they've chosen. I mean that really is the critique here which is that I think that people are ending up trading a great deal of what should be you know some of their best uh, years in exchange for the promise of a kind of moneyed utopia sometime in their 30s or 40s and whether it's my generation or whether it's a, something that that every generation experiences you know i went from small schools and and a very close family to a university where i was you know i had a wonderful time and and very close nurturing environment and suddenly thrust into the city and uh, and having to suddenly take things terribly seriously it did seem like an incredible break from what I had experienced before and and I was rather sad that no one had warned me about this but of course it is the great iniquity of the of the milk round that it holds out all of these things I think one of the really good things to come out of this most recent crash is perhaps the death of the milk round because I would just urge anyone who is looking at a life in the city or corporate law or any of these things to to at least put it off for a few years and do something fun and do something because I, I, I really don't believe that there are ma- that many people for whom it is a vocation. I think it is a, a job that can can be extremely interesting but I do think that uh, people should at least take their time to work out if it's something they want to do. I imagine you've got quite a, a rich fund of characters to draw on when, you, when you're portraying some of these characters and I was wondering when the book is published will people be recognising themselves in the um, uh, Silver Birch company for which Charlie works? So the question I get asked the most is, is you know, so who's who and, and who did you build these people upon? I mean, it it absolutely isn't a reflection of my own experience. I've never worked anywhere, even remotely like Silver Birch. It, 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 I think what I draw upon is a type and broad number of chats, interviews, discussions I've had with people, particularly those people who were leaving the industry. I found something really fascinating about the people who gave up during the crash and 
I keep a little store of uh, of emails on my computer that w- that are goodbye emails and people who have gone off to work on a game farm in South Africa, a guy who's gone to teach baseball at a um, uh, at a university in Southern California, a guy who's taking a year to do cookery courses in fifteen different countries around the world, and I just had these as little kind of beacons of hope from these people that that were going off to do something authentic, going off to do something that that really meant something to them and so it, it absolutely isn't a Roman clay it isn't something that is in any way identifiable and actually no one will identify themselves in it because I wanted to create a work of fiction I mean this it would would have perhaps been easier for me to write something that was fully autobiographical but actually the story I had to tell was rather different from my own story and and I think hopefully represents something rather broader than than just one person's experience. And readers may be surprised by the fact that the characters who work for Silverbridge are not all selfish. There's actually quite a, a sense of, of camaraderie among some of the colleagues. You know, again, maybe that's to do with the way that these people are perceived, the way that they're represented in in the media. And, and you know, I return again to Folks' a, a Week in December, where there is this view of the, of the hedge fund manager as this kind of automaton, entirely focused on money, entirely unable. I mean, I guess autistic, there seems to be a sense that there is this kind of inability for these people to emote, and that is why they are only obsessed with money. And, and I think absolutely there is you know these are these are humans too and whilst i do you know i think it it would have been foolhardy to try and portray the bankers as in any way victims here i do think that there is a sense that these people are people who are thinking deeply about where they are and particularly madison in in the novel who is I guess Charlie's closest friend at work is is somebody who is very much drawing upon a particular type who is fascinated by that world, who is deeply thoughtful about what is going on, and is therefore perhaps even more impacted when when the markets turn. And she can see how irrational what is going on is, but is un- unable in any way to really affect that. Yeah, and Madison is the one who, as you say, can foresee what's going to happen. But the culture is completely unprepared to acknowledge that. And I was I was struck by the language that her boss uses when things start to go wrong, bad market juju. And I wonder, is that is that true to life, that sort of almost sort of dismissive um, attitude to even the possibility of, of things going bad? As with any world, there are different types. There are those who rely on their wits and there are those who, you know, rely on, on, on research. And, and, you know, I think one of the things that we saw in this crash was that actually a lot of the things were irrational. I mean, we could very clearly see things that were mispriced, but the markets would continue to to go down because you just couldn't stand in the way of such a a well of negative sentiment. And, and, you know, I I think it's very similar now. Looking at the market, I, I think we have risen ridiculously quickly, far too, far too fast. And there will be a correction. And I know that. But at the moment, the market is continuing to rally. People are continuing to be optimistic. And so it's almost impossible to have the perseverance needed to stand in the way of all that. Do you think lessons have have only partially been learned? I think that's actually a very optimistic way of viewing it. I think very little's been learned. I think that we have returned largely to where we were, and I think it's going to be necessary to go through 
kind of the next round of things before we really work out what should a bank look like, what should the financial markets look like, who should be trading, public securities should derivatives A exist, B I guess exist in the form they currently do. I think there are an enormous number of things that we will need to look at and, and you know my view is that we are going through kind of the third of, of, of three bubbles, the, the first of which was I guess the corporate debt bubble, then the consumer debt bubble and now we're in a, in a sovereign debt bubble and we need that final deflation because really what has just happened is it's been a shifting of, of indebtedness from, from one entity to another and the buck must stop with with the governments and, uh, and and how the governments get through this I think is going to be fascinating and potentially terrifying. And presumably also provide material for future novels. Do you think you will stay with the city for for your next book? No, absolutely not. Um, you know, I think it was it's interesting to have written a novel about the city. It clearly draws upon things I know, but uh, you know I think I wouldn't want to pigeonhole myself as a a writer who only deals with the city. I, I think I will stay with this particular generation that I'm dealing with because it's still more or less the generation I'm of, i.e. I've just left my 20s. But also I think it's fascinating this particular age when a whole generation of people is, is kind of suffering the after effects of the fact that baby boomers have had their cake and eaten it and left pretty much nothing on the table for their children. I, in fact, just delivered uh, the first draft of the of the next novel to my agent, and um, yeah, it's uh, it's it's certainly not about the city. Alex Preston, this bleeding city is out now in large format paperback.